Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bipolar Disorder Moment. My name is Alan Cooper. Today, we'll be reading six from my yet-to-be-published book, Brain Betrayal, The Alan They Never Met. Today, we'll be reading three sections from my book, two experiences from university, and one section from a period in my life when I worked as a camp counselor. So, let's get started. We're going to skip a couple of chapters, or pardon me, we're still on chapter six, University Freedom, and we're skipping a couple sections and we're going to a section called Academic Challenge. Academic Challenge. Before I went to university, I was confident in my academic abilities. I got above average grades in high school because I wanted to go to university. I put a minimal amount of effort in to get the grades I needed. My first year at University of Victoria was a rude awakening. I had rudimentary study skills and I wasn't focused on learning. I decided that I needed to drop a class if I wanted to avoid academic probation. I was failing statistics, so I went to the dean's office and formally withdrew from the course. Then I went to the biology lab to check my mark on my midterm. I was sure that I had done well on the test. I read my mark off the board and I felt like I was stabbed in the heart. I got 33%. That was the first time I had ever received a mark that low. I slid down the side of the wall until I was sitting on the floor and buried my face in my hands. What do I do now? Maybe I don't even belong in university. What does this mean for my identity? Am I a stupid person now? What if my friends found out I got this mark? What if I end up failing this course? Will I get kicked out of university and never return to Victoria? My whole world was caving in on me. My thoughts were spinning as I sat there, paralyzed. At the end of the year, I did manage to pass all my courses with a GPA high enough to avoid academic probation. I vowed that in my second year of university, I would put in the effort and my grades would improve. Okay, that's the end of that section. So between the next section I'm going to read, uh, I'm skipping another section where I go home. That wasn't a great experience. <laughs> It'll be in my book if it ever gets published, but I'm not going to read it in my podcast. So we're skipping ahead to the second year when I'm back at university. Celebration of student life. In second year, Jessica and I lived on the same floor in residence. 
She was so happy to see me. She said she missed cool people like me. No one in Calgary ever called me a cool person. Thomas had spent his summer teaching English in Japan. Dan wanted to take a year off, so Thomas used his contacts to get him a job there too. I miss Dan, but Thomas, Jessica, Melody, and I still had a lot of fun. I was determined to become a better student, but the first week was not productive. We were all so excited to see each other again that we spent almost every night at the pub, the Barley Mow. It was great to be me again. My university friends only knew an Allen that was fresh and free. Jessica and I decided that we needed to stop drinking. We were worried we were developing an addiction issue and knew that we weren't paying enough attention to our schoolwork. We came up with an idea to have a party without any alcohol. We made invitations that said, ANATS, all in no alcohol tie soiree. The dress code for the evening was a wacky tie of some sort, and we said that alcohol would not be permitted at the party. We were going to have Kool-Aid shooters and root beer chugging contests. The party was a hit. We filled Jessica's room and some of our friends sat in the hallway. We pounded back the Kool-Aid shooters and cheered, just like we did when we drank the version that had the alcohol in it. Some people wore ties with just a t-shirt on, and others had strange ties with dress shirts and gym shorts. I loved all the different and unique characters I met at university. After the party, Jessica and I were satisfied that we were not alcoholics, and having proven that to ourselves, we continued studying and postponed the next major party until after midterms. And that's the end of the section called Celebration of Student Life. We're going to read one more section here. After second year, uh, before I went to Japan, I had a, one of the most favorite jobs I had. And the there's one person in this story who comes back in my life later on. It's a significant part of my story as well. So this is after my second year at university. I went home for a little while, and then shortly after that, I went to work at a camp as a camp counselor called Camp Kusoda. Camp Kusoda. After one challenging month living in Calgary, I was hired as a summer counselor at Camp Kusoda, an hour and a half away. When I arrived, the supervisor of the camp grabbed my arm and sprayed me with bug spray. I'm Kyle, welcome to Camp Kusoda, he yelled above the loud buzzing of the mosquitoes while shaking my hand. There were so many mosquitoes you could barely see across the open green space enclosed by evergreen trees and small cabins. I got my suitcase out of the trunk of the car. I'll take you to your cabin, he shouted. Four bunk beds were crammed into the room. I put my suitcase under one of the beds and rolled out my sleeping bag. I laid down, put my hands behind my head and took a deep breath. I'm free again. That evening, 
I met the other camp counselors in the mess hall. It was a united church camp, but we all had different religious backgrounds. I was Catholic, David was Mormon, Joanna was Lutheran, Faith was Anglican, Shelley, Rose, Glenn, and Alice, and Lily were united. One of our first activities was to camp out in the woods one night and pick nicknames for each other. Kyle showed us how to light a fire so that we could cook in the fire pit. We learned campfire songs like Puff the Magic Dragon, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, and There's a Hole in My Bucket. We set up lean-tos in case it rained, but decided to sleep under the stars. We squeezed into our sleeping bags and started discussing nicknames. David said he had to go to the bathroom, and when he got out of his sleeping bag, he was in his underwear. Everyone laughed at him for inadvertently at modeling his ass to us. His name became Cheeks. Alice had her thumb bandaged because she accidentally cut her hand with an axe making kindling before coming to camp. So she became Slice. During the first day portion of our training, Faith asked what you do if someone was decapitated. We all laughed. Her nickname became DC. When I woke up the next day, I was told that my nickname would be Thor, because I snored really loud. David was not impressed that I got a cool name like Thor, and he got a ridiculous name like Cheeks. When the first busload of campers arrived, I felt overwhelmed. We stood on the steps of the main building while the kids sat on the grass below. Kyle introduced us one at a time and encouraged the kids to cheer when they heard our names. Thor! Kyle yelled through his blowhorn, and all the kids cheered. Cheeks! Kyle yelled, and the kids burst out into laughter. That was the first and last time David went by Cheeks. Each camp lasted one week. The first group was comprised of 8- to 10-year-old boys and girls. I led the kids to the mess hall for supper. It felt strange to be a leader of a group. Once all the kids sat around the table, I remained standing because I didn't know where to sit. We had older teen volunteers at the camp, and my helper motioned towards the head of the table where I sat, despite my discomfort. The counselors had different strengths and mine was playing sports. I played volleyball, soccer, tetherball, and canoed with the campers. Occasionally, we brought all the kids in the camp together to play field games like Capture the Flag and Red Rover. Working with children was fun. Their energy, excitement, and sense of play was contagious, and it was rewarding to see them enjoy life. Every evening, the kids would ask me to tell them a bedtime story. I would make up stories, and I realized that if I made the stories boring, they would fall asleep sooner. I thought I was being clever, but after a couple of days, the kids stopped calling them bedtime stories and referred to them as boring stories, yet they still requested them. The director of the camp, Rebecca, was as fun as the camp counselors. One day, it was pouring rain and everyone was miserable. They were either stuck in their cabins reading or trying to get through an entire day of doing crafts. Rebecca and I put on our raincoats and went outside, and arm in arm we sang, Sing in the rain, at the top of our lungs. As we sang, we hopped from puddle to puddle, kicking water as far as we could. We laughed 
in between gasps of breath and gave each other a big hug. I was in regular contact with Thomas via the payphone from camp. He confirmed that I would be getting a teaching contract and gave me instructions on how to contact the Japanese consulate, consulate to apply for a visa. We arranged to meet in Vancouver before I left so he could give me more information on my life in Japan. Working at Camp Kasoda was a blast. We didn't have smartphones, television, or the internet, and it was by far the best summer I have ever had. When it was all over, I was sad, but exhausted, and ready to move on to my next adventure in life. Okay, but that was about Camp, Cons Camp Kasoda. The next section we will be reading will be my trip to Japan. And my life change, changes dramatically once I get to Japan and things happen. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this week's reading. I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Once again, if you'd like to join the Facebook group that I have put together, it's also called the Bipolar Disorder Moment. On Twitter, I'm at Alan G. Cooper. And my blog is BipolarWeekly.com. Thank you so much for listening today. This has been another Bipolar Disorder Moment. <laughs>